All right, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to... Good. First Timothy 1, 18 through 20. First Timothy 1. We're going to continue in our pastoral epistles sermon series. Title of my message today is Wage the Good Warfare. <clears throat> and again, this is not because of what's happening in our world t- t- today. You're going to see in our text what we're getting at when we say wage the good warfare. So that's 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20. If you're there, say word. Fantastic. Go ahead and stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20. It says this. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we come to you this morning, people who are probably tired of waging a warfare, maybe a warfare with their sin, Maybe a warfare with the enemy. But God, as we gather this morning and as we stand on the sufficiency and the truth of your word, pray that you would use me as you see fit. Pray, God, that you would add a word that we can walk away with, apply it to our lives, that we can be in awe of who you are. Help us to see that. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, in the past week, our news feeds, and by news feeds I mean we're talking about Facebook, Twitter, or even the news you watch on TV, whatever app, newspaper, if you're still reading newspapers. Our news feeds across the world have been filled with what's happening in Ukraine, with the war on Russia or the war that Russia has has brought in on Ukraine. And so I know that 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 the image of war is on our mind right now and and it's fresh and and, and that's good because of what we're going to be talking about this morning with with warfare. Now, I know we have concerns with what this might do to our nation. Uh the concerns of what's happening in Ukraine will will uh will gas go over $4 a gallon. More than likely. Uh, will we be uh, sending people to fight? Will we be bringing the draft back? Will we run out of food in the grocery stores? I think it's already been running out for the past few months, if y'all have been grocery shopping. We have to go to three different places just to find bread half the time. But we have these questions that we may be asking about this warfare that's going on in our world today. But we're no stranger to war. If you are around my age, you were in middle school when 9-11 happened. Some of you were older than that, working a job maybe. And some of you weren't even born yet. So war, for most of us, we're we're no stranger to it. No stranger to it. 
Wars exist, they happen, and sometimes they're necessary. Paul calls this war that he is calling the church to a good warfare. And that's what we're looking at this morning is this good warfare that Paul is calling us to. So here's the main idea I've got for you this morning is this. A healthy church wages war for sound theology for the sake of souls. A healthy church wages war for sound theology for the sake of souls. That's the war that Paul is talking about here. If we look in the context of 1 Timothy 1, he's been, we've been looking for the past several weeks about false teaching and false teachers and how we are to handle that, how we confront and correct out of love this false teaching. And the problem is, as we see in 1 Timothy, is this is not necessarily false teaching that's happening outside of the church. It's false teaching that false teaching that's happening Inside the church, that there are people, possibly even elders, pastors, that's what elders are, pastors, elders who have been charged to shepherd the people who are now swaying the people with a different gospel, a false teaching. And so Paul is writing to Timothy that he needs to wage the good warfare. And church, that is our charge this morning to wage the good warfare, the warfare for sound theology. Church, we, we can, we can see it on TV. When Lifeway was a bookstore that you could walk into, you could see it on their bookshelves. You walk into a Barnes and Noble bookstore and you go to the religious section. There's a lot of religious books. And if, if there even is a Christianity section, There's a lot of Christianity books. 90% of them are trash. Even in Lifeway, it was trash. It was false teaching and false theology. And one of the biggest things that we have going on in our world today is this teaching of prosperity gospel. This teaching that you are sick, that you are dying, that you are poor, all because you lack faith. And, and I'm serious, church. There are churches in our own community that are flaunting that mess. And it crawls my grawl. Every time. I mean, it, it, it literally aggravates me. In Haiti, when I was in Haiti about four years back now, That is a message that gets pushed around. And it's sad when it gets pushed around in third world countries. You have none because your faith is not strong enough. You're sick and dying because you don't believe that God would heal you. You need stronger faith. This is prosperity gospel. That God is here to make you the best you can be in this life now. Because this is your greatest life now. Every day is a Friday in the life of a Christian. Right? No, most days it feels like Monday. But church, we are called to wage war for sound theology. Why? For the sake of souls. 
A lot of times when we make a stand against a specific false teacher, when we make a stand and we like, I've even had it happen. I will post something on social media. It'll be a video clip. And I'll even say, this is what we don't believe. This is horrible theology. And I'll get the messages from people saying, why do you feel like you need to call him out? Why do you feel like you need to say something? Why is it that you feel like these people should be named? Maybe, maybe your theology is wrong. How do you know that? And the problem is, is if we allow this type of theology being pushed out under the guise of Christianity, people are going to go to hell because of it. But wait, as long as they believe in Jesus, they're fine. Yeah, but what Jesus? Who is Jesus? What did Jesus do? What did he accomplish? All of that is theology. Who Jesus is matters. Who you believe Jesus is matters. Islam believes in a Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses believe in a Jesus. Mormons believe in a Jesus. Buddhists believe in a Jesus. But that don't mean that they're going to heaven. Church, we are called to wage war on sound theology for the sake of souls. So let's break this down. Number one, we see the charge to spiritually fight in verse 18. We see the charge to spiritually fight. And I love this word charge. If we're going to look at it in the Greek, it's, it is a strong word. It's a word of urgency. It's a military term. I charge you. I command you. I, in, I, I push you. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. The good warfare. Paul, who sees Timothy as his spiritual child in the faith, is telling him about this charge that we've already seen earlier in verses 3 and 5. This charge to, to, to set up elders and to, and to make sure that there's no false teaching happening in our churches. That's the charge. And church, I as your pastor am charged with that as well. That's why when I became your pastor, I made sure I was in charge of who stands behind this pulpit and preaches God's word to you. I'm not going to put anybody back here to preach God's word unless I know them and trust them. Because we are charged to guard that teaching, to guard the gospel that God has given us. Because all it takes is one message, one message to sway people to go a different direction. But we are charged to spiritually fight. Christianity is warfare, church. We, as Paul tells us in the book of Timothy, we are soldiers of Christ Jesus. I may never march in the infantry, infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never, forgot that line, but I'm in the Lord's army. Y'all remember that song, right? There's truth to that song. You are a soldier 
in the Lord's army. You are charged to spiritually fight this warfare. And if you're thinking today, that sounds crazy. There is no warfare going on. Look throughout church history. Look all throughout church history. Leto has already had church history one and two at Southeastern. I haven't yet. But Leto was telling me about all these councils and which, which I know most of them, but Leto was just eating it up and, and just telling me about the, all these councils that, that had to convene because of false teaching and heresy. Not only that, we see the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. That was spiritual warfare to reform the church back to the doctrine of Christ alone and scripture alone. And then two, we see it even 15, I'm sorry, this is 2022, 20 years ago, at least the fight over the inerrancy of scripture. And we're still fighting over that today, church denominations today, religions today, the world today, even the world's acting like the serpent out of Genesis three. Did God really say We are charged to spiritually fight. To spiritually fight. Paul charges people to wage war throughout Scripture. He tells us in Romans 6 that Christians are to wage war against our sin. We wage war against our sin, church. We fight it daily. We're called to. We don't succumb to it. In Ephesians 6, Paul tells Christians to oppose the schemes of the devil. And how do you do that? By putting on the full armor of God. We see here in verse 18 that Paul tells Timothy that this charge that I've entrusted to you, Timothy, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. Had to do a little bit of digging on... On that, we're, we're not really sure what that means, the prophecies previously made about you. But more than likely, Paul is taking Timothy back, a little flashback here, to the time that he was ordained into the ministry. When the message was proclaimed over Timothy, the call, the charge, we did it with Pastor Leto when we ordained him to the ministry here. We presented a charge over him. And then the elders laid hands on Timothy, just as we had done here. We laid hands on Tim, on, on, on Leto to set him apart and pray for him as God puts him into the ministry full time as an ordained pastor. Paul is telling Timothy, because of your calling, Because of who God has called you to be, wage the good warfare. Now, church, let me be clear about this. This is not a verse that pertains only to elders and pastors. This is for all believers. Timothy is charged to be in the forefront to lead the charge. Paul is like the general of God's army presenting the charge to Timothy. 
And the church is the infantry waging the good warfare. Church, we are charged to spiritually fight because of our calling. We are to wage the good warfare. Now, Paul calls this a good warfare. It's a good warfare. This means that there must be bad warfare, right? Because instead he would have just called it wage the warfare. But he says the good warfare. Do you, would you believe me if I told you that there are bad, there is bad warfare in the church? Would you believe me? Churches have split over the color of carpet. They've split over whether we need pews or chairs. They've split over paint. Churches have caused problems because they put a Keurig in the foyer for coffee. That churches have waged bad warfare. That's ridiculous. People in the church have made church about their preference, but yet they've neglected the fact that we're charged to fight the good warfare. Our job here as we come on Sunday mornings, this isn't just a social gathering. We're not a social club where we hang out and we have a good time. I love coming to church on Sunday mornings, by the way. This is, I enjoy it. But your responsibility here is not to be a part of a social club. It's to be equipped for the warfare. To be equipped to fight, to stand firm, to guard the gospel that's been entrusted to us. And if we keep coming, and I'm not, uh, this isn't happening, but I'm just saying, if, if the church keeps coming with these issues, these little bitty problems out of preference, it distracts us from the warfare that we are called to. I read somewhere of one story where this church, the pastor put um, a, a coffee maker in, in the foyer, I think is, is where, it, where it was. And there were a lot of people who just really was upset about it. Just really upset about it because they, they claimed that it, that it took away from, um, the sanctity of the sanctuary. But what happened was, is these people, it, it caused so much distraction. The deacons, the elders, none of them could even really take time to visit people, to make phone calls, to prepare sermons. To serve and love because they're constantly having to put out fires. Now, I'm not I'm not saying this because I want to put a, a Keurig in the foyer. I'm saying this because we need to understand what is good warfare and what is bad warfare. What is the hills that we should be willing to die on and what are the hills that we shouldn't be willing to die on? Church, the enemy wants us distracted. He wants us to take our eye off the ball. He wants us to take our focus off the mission that he has called us to. To equip us to spiritually fight this warfare that we're called to. Because I don't know if you know it, but we are in a spiritual warfare. We are. Not only do we see in here the charge to spiritually fight but number two we see the means to firmly stand we see the means to firmly stand verse 19 paul shows us that that as timothy wages the good warfare he says holding faith and a good 
conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Faith and a good conscience. Now, this isn't the first time that Paul has mentioned this. Paul tells us in verse 5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And he mentioned that in verse 5 because this is what the false teachers have wandered away from. They don't have a good conscience and a sincere faith. They don't have a solid belief or, or a good conscience, which is these actions of holiness. They don't, they do not live what they believe. We see in scripture, Paul and James, they go with this back and forth of faith versus works. And what we see that their message is saying is faith apart from works is dead. But so is works apart from faith. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot have faith and not have a good conscience. And you cannot have a good conscience and not have a good faith. They work hand in hand. Why? Because our actions are a response of our faith. And our actions apart from faith are just a way for us to look pharisaical and look good to the world. Virtue signaling is what we call it now. But Paul tells us in this, in this warfare, these are our means to firmly stand. We wage the good warfare with faith and a good conscience. How do we fight church? How do we fight this warfare, especially this warfare over sound theology? We fight by what we believe in. We fight because we believe that this book is true, inerrant, infallible, that this book is sufficient. We don't need anything else. The Mormons have, they have the pearl of great price. They have the book of Mormon and they have the doctrines and covenants, I believe is what the third one is. They have the extra books because this isn't enough. Church, this is sufficient. It's sufficient for salvation. Now, does it have the answer to every question we have? No. How do you make the perfect pancake? It's not in there. But to live for faith and to have a good conscience with our holiness and actions, this is sufficient. It's sufficient for what we need to know and believe. The means to firmly stand, we stand by what we believe. And we need to be willing to die for it. Church, are you? We can name so many names throughout church history who have died for their faith, died for their beliefs. There have been men who died at the stake because of a belief that Scripture is sufficient. Are you willing to do that? How else do we fight? We don't, we don't only fight by what we believe. We fight by how we live. 
We may say that we know Jesus, but if we live in a way in which we act like we don't know Jesus, that's not going to fly. It's not going to work. We got a few soldiers in our congregation. If you bear the stars and stripes, you better act like a patriot. Am I right? We're not traitors. If we bear the cross, if we say that Christ has died for me and that I've put my faith and trust in him, our lives should live up to that. That's how we fight. We fight by what we believe. We fight by how we live. And I'm going to add a third one. We fight on our knees. Yeah, we stand firm. We, be, we stand firm with what we believe and we live it out by loving and serving and standing firm. Not, not swaying. But we also fight on our knees in prayer. Oswald Chambers once said that prayer doesn't prepare us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. So Paul shows us the means to firmly stand as we wage this good warfare. And then thirdly, he shows us not only the means to firmly stand, but he shows us the warning of falling away. Now, I want to be careful how I talk about this. He shows us the warning of falling away in verse in verse 20. Let's, let's go back to verse 19, ha- halfway through. He says, by rejecting this, rejecting faith and a good conscience, Conscience. Some have made shipwreck of their faith. Now, shipwreck is a good illustration for this area because Ephesus had, was a was a major seaport, and so when they said shipwreck, everybody knows about shipwrecks. They and these, the, what he's talking about is these people who have rejected faith and a good in a good conscience. They have shipwreck. They've they've crashed. They've fallen away. They've destroyed themselves. And what's interesting is, is in verse 19, the ESV says their faith. But yet the Greek is more close where it says the faith. The faith. And there's a reason for that. It's not that they had faith to begin with. And then they rejected their faith that they had. They rejected the faith from all the time that they've known about. They never once had put their faith and trust in Christ to begin with. That's how they fell away. They didn't know Jesus truly. That 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 gospel seed never took root in their souls. But Paul tells us that there's a warning of falling away, that these men, these, these people have made shipwreck of their faith by rejecting Faith and good conscience. Verse 20, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. First off, let me be clear. Paul named names. We should not shy away from naming names when it comes to false teachers. I don't know. I know you might be thinking like that sounds harsh. 
But how is it that we're to tell people that they need to stay away from certain teaching if we don't tell them who they need to stay away from? So here I've got people in our church who's not constantly, but often send me books that they may be reading, you know, authors and, and they'll ask, is this okay for me to be reading? And I love that, that you're doing that because you're showing me one that you're okay with me telling you, no, it's not a good person you should be reading. But secondly, it shows me too that you care about what you're putting into your soul. Paul is not afraid to name names here. But secondly, what does he do? What is he in, in, in acting here by handing over Hymenaeus and Alexander to Satan? This is church discipline. This is church discipline. A healthy church constructs healthy church discipline. This is what church discipline looks like. You can look at it in Matthew 18. But church discipline is where when we catch wind of somebody living in sin, we're not, we're not trying to police people. But when you become a church member, you are set under the accountability of the leadership here. I am charged to be a shepherd over your soul. And if we catch wind of somebody who's living in sin, we confront them privately and let them know what you're doing is sinful. It may be somebody having an affair, an addiction to drugs or pornography. It may be a divorce. It may be neglect. Who, who knows? It may be a certain type of lifestyle. But we confront it, ask you to repent. If you don't repent, we confront you again, ask you to repent. And it keeps going until eventually it comes to a point. If you don't repent, we bring your name before the church and we vote for you to come off the membership list. You're probably like, wow, that's harsh. That's in our bylaws, church. I'm glad it's in our bylaws because it's in the scripture. And why is that? Paul says that I handed him, handed them over to Satan so that they may learn not to blaspheme. If they're going to live like the enemy, they need to be handed over to the enemy. But the hopes is not that they destroy their lives. The hopes is not that they never come back. The hopes is that they may learn In Paul's case, not to blaspheme. In our case, they may learn to repent and turn back to Jesus. And then we are to welcome them back when they do. Church, there's a warning of falling away here as we wage the good warfare. There's a warning here in which we are called to stand firm with faith and a good conscience. And we are to have those two things. But when we don't, We're lying to ourselves and we're causing destruction and distraction and division within the church. There's another sermon there. So as we wage the good warfare, Paul shows us the charge to spiritually fight, shows us the means to firmly stand, and he shows us the warning of falling 
away. So may we never be somebody who falls away. May we be somebody who does have a sincere and solid faith in Jesus. May we be somebody who does have a good conscience that that is a response, that, 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 that responds in action and love and serving and being Christ-like. Church, in order to wage the good warfare in our church and in this world, we need people who have recognized these things, who have recognized the charge to spiritually fight and are holding to the means to firmly stand. We need men and women who are going to stand firm on God's word and are going to take to heart what it says to do and believe. A healthy church is full of people who have a solid faith and are of good conscience. So in conclusion, this past week, one of the, one of the coolest things to, to, to see within this whole war thing going on was the president of Ukraine. You probably have seen some of the stuff that's come out about, about him. I mean, I wish he was an American citizen. I'd be rooting for him for 2024 presidency. Probably shouldn't have said that. But this guy, the United States comes out and says, hey, we can offer you evacuation to safety. We can get you out of Ukraine. We can bring you to safety where you'll be okay and you can lead your lead your country. (laughs) This guy, it's like Rambo, comes out and he's like, I don't need a rod. I need more ammo. I need ammunition. I mean, this dude is strapping up in a bulletproof vest and he's got a gun and he's in military gear. And this president, who's acting like the president off of Independence Day, is out there fighting for his country. On the front lines. And what's cool about this is he is showing what true leadership looks like. He's showing what it takes to wage the good warfare. And we can, we can look at that and we can take from it what we can in which we need to have that type of courage to stand firm as we recognize the charge that God has placed on our lives, as we hold to the means, the weapons, that we've been given our faith and a good conscience, the, the means to warfare. And as we be reminded of the warning of falling away. Church, may we be a church who stands firm in the warfare over sound theology. So a healthy church wages war on sound theology for the sake of souls. So we may see people come to know Jesus Christ. So we may see people come to see the cross that Christ died on. To trust in the one who waged the warfare on our behalf, who fought sin and death and defeated it, and is now ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father, and is our King of kings and Lord of lords. We fight for that King. We fight for him. May we be that kind of church. Let's pray, Father God. We are thankful for your word in which we stand firmly on. 
We are thankful for your grace in which you have given us a charge to spiritually fight, but through that grace you've given us the means to fight. It's by your grace that we've been given faith, God. It's by your grace that you've called us to yourself, to call us as one of your own. It's by your grace that we are able to live out that faith by serving and loving and obeying and being holy and like Jesus daily. But not just that, but living out our faith by also living out repentance of our sin. God, I pray that you would help us to wage the good warfare as we stand firm on what your word shows us. That we do not sway, but that we fight for truth. Because you are truth, and so is your word. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.